0: I don't remember any point in my lifetime when the news was more terrifying. How can you listen to the news these days without losing your mind? Or on a smaller scale, how do you handle those times when you're afraid to speak up and say what needs to be said because you're worried about what people think? Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast. Where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. All cowards go to hell. It strike you as a provocative statement? Who would say something like that? Well, God would. Revelation 21 8 gives a list. Of the types of people who, if they don't repent, will go to hell and be thrown into the lake of fire. And guess what? The very first thing in that list is Revelation twenty one eight. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderer, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Why cowardice? What's 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 the deal with with cowardice that makes that such a important thing to God? Uh, what makes it so evil? Cowardice is evil because just as all of your love belongs to God, all of your fear also belongs to God alone and to no one else. Isaiah 51:12. God said to his people, Who are you that you fear mortal men? You have no right to do that. We have no right to fear anyone but God. Fearing man is just as much unfaithfulness to God as loving the world is. And it's important because you will bend the direction of your life to avoid those whom you fear, to to satisfy the demands of the ones you fear. You'll steer your life to satisfy the demands of the ones you fear. That's why it's so dangerous to be afraid of suffering. If I fear suffering more than I fear God, Satan can steer my life wherever he wants. All he has to do is put suffering in my way and he can turn me. So in today's passage, Paul's going to do two things. He's going to tell us not to be cowards. Uh, he's going to tell us that, and then he's going to show us how. He's going to give us some information that will teach us uh, how to interpret suffering in such a way so that we're not afraid of it anymore. So uh, we left off last week actually mid-sentence, so we do have to take a moment to refresh our memory about verse 27, uh, where the sentence starts. Um, the, the, the main point of verse 27 is Paul is calling us to stand firm in unity as a church. Look at verse 27. Whatever happens, live as citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit, uh, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. That's what Paul's after. He wants us to stand firm in unity, and we're not going to be able to do that when we're afraid of opposition. We'll never be unified while we're afraid. So he says in verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. You can't be frightened. Fear of opposition destroys church unity because what's going to happen is we'll be concerned about avoiding conflict and when 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 that's our priority is to avoid conflict, we'll never do real peacemaking. Uh, cowards are always peace fakers, never peacemakers. There are some people who are so terrified of opposition that they're just paralyzed. They can't do anything. They can't can't do anything of any consequence. They can't stand uh, the thought of anyone even slightly opposing them or being against them in the least degree. And so they never do anything or say anything of any consequence for fear that someone might disagree with it and look down on them or be offended. There are pastors who won't preach anything of any substance. They won't ever say anything controversial from the pulpit because they're afraid of how people might react. They're afraid we might lose a family and somebody might get upset. And all of us have passed up opportunities to share the gospel with somebody because of fear, haven't we? This is a real problem. Fear of opposition is a very real problem, for, even for the most courageous among us. But what does that say about God. What does it say about the when I'm afraid of what man might do to me, what does that say about my God? Someone we don't like wins an election and, and some immoral or unjust law gets passed. Um, there's some people uh, you know that, that are doing something in the in politics that are against us or whatever. And th- when that happens, there are people in the church who lose, literally lose sleep over it. They're scared to death. That the government is going to come and spy on their privacy or take their money or confiscate their property or whatever. Listen, if we're afraid of those things, what does that say about the God who promised to take care of us? We might as well put a flashing neon sign out front that just says, Jesus Christ is powerless if we're going to behave that way. But on the other hand, if we stand firm without being frightened in any way by those who oppose us, that sends, that sends a message. That's a flashing neon sign, isn't it? It sends a message about their destiny and about our destiny. And that's what he's saying in verse 28. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign, a flashing neon sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved, and that by God. So... Um, Paul's going to teach us two very important principles about when we suffer opposition uh, that, that are going to help us here, have courage. And the first point that he makes is two points. first one has to do with the testimony of our courage. If, if someone opposes you because of your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and you stand firm with unflinching courage in the face of that opposition, that sends a very clear message about who's going to win and who's going to lose. You know, I, I uh, many years ago, my mom gave me a book titled "God's Spy" about Chris Panos, story of Chris Panos. And he was he uh, at the beginning of the book, he tells about how uh, violent he used to be prior to becoming a Christian. And there's one story in particular that I think of this story every single time I read Philippians 1:28. It's just, he was in a bar uh, with a, with his buddy, and um, he was just in an ugly mood. He was looking for a fight. Uh, Chris Panos was. And he saw this really big, this guy's way bigger than him, a mean, tough-looking guy, and just purposely picked a fight. He spilled the guy's beer on him, and then he called him a fat slob and just and and just provoked him. And the guy, uh, you know, he got really mad, and he went for his knife. And as soon as he went for his knife, Chris Panos took his beer bottle and backhanded, just smashed him across the face with his beer bottle as hard as he could. He thought that was going to knock him down. It didn't phase him. The guy, he said, the guy just. Just kind of shook his head a little bit and smiled, and he saw all these gold teeth and everything. And then, and then he describes the rest of the fight, which was decidedly one-sided. Panos didn't do well in that fight. He got stabbed. He got thrown through a window, and it all ended with this big guy on top of him, knife raised, ready to kill him. And when uh, when when Chris Panos hit that guy across the face face with his beer bottle, and it he expected he expected it to knock him down. It didn't even phase him. That was a sign to Chris about who is going to win and who is going to lose, right? When the world takes its best shot at us and we don't even flinch, that's a sign about their destiny and ours. And what is their best shot? What is their best shot? Death, right? They can kill us. That's their best shot. Uh, Luke 12, 4. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that can do no more. That's nothing. Kill you? That's nothing. You still go to heaven. That's their beer bottle across the face. That's their best shot. Death. And when they threaten us with that, we can just stand there unflinching courage and just say, ha, that's all you got? My grandmother hits harder than that. Guess we wouldn't have to say that last part necessarily. But the point is, this world takes their best shot. We stand firm without any fear. It becomes evident which side is going to win and which side is going to lose. So, some anti-christian person gets elected some uh, things go the trends in the politics go away, don't go our way they go in the wrong way and everything and and all this stuff happens and we respond with zero fear no fear just unflinching courage and joy that's a sign to the enemy that he is going to lose and it's also a sign it's also proof that you're going to be saved this is proof of salvation one of the most compelling evidences of true saving faith is perseverance in the face of suffering. Fake Christians give up when, things, when they run into opposition. True Christians persevere, 2 Timothy 2.12. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. And the connection between verse 27 about unity and verse 28 about courage... That connection flows both ways. On the one hand, we have to have courage in order to maintain our unity. If we're, if we're, if we start to be afraid of opposition, we'll lose our unity. On the other hand, it goes the other direction. We need unity in order to have courage. Right? Because, because we have each other's back. It's only when we stand as one man that we will stand firm. It's only when we stand as one man that we will stand firm. If we're scattered and we're bickering, fighting against each other and all that stuff, going off in all kinds of different directions, not unified, there's no way we're going to be able to handle the onslaught that's going to come against us from the world. Many times people have said the, the, the church is the only army that shoots its own wounded. That's true. That's true. You know, many times people, somebody commits some scandalous sin and, and they're branded. And even after they repent, they're just kind of relegated to second class status in the church. We can't keep doing that if we're going to want to win this war. We can't shoot our own wounded. And that's also illustrated in that same Chris Panos story. The only uh, He actually survived that. The only reason Panos survived that was because his buddy Ricardo came flying in at the last second just as the guy was about to stab him and kill him and hit that guy, knocked him off uh, uh, of, of Panos, and then they both ran off and they, they got away. That's the story. Pretty dramatic story. Wouldn't be quite the same if... Panos' buddy Ricardo came in and like kicked Chris Panos in the head and said, so "That's for that smart remark you made to me last week." I didn't appreciate that. You know, that wouldn't that wouldn't be as good a story, right? When someone in the church is in sin, when your spouse is in sin, you, 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 your t- tendency is to think of them as as the enemy. They're sinning against me. Listen, when they're in sin, they are being bested by. The enemy. When they're in sin, they're pinned down on their back, on the ground, with the enemy on top of them, with a knife upraised. They're being bested. Shouldn't we try to come in like like Ricardo and knock knock that enemy off and rescue them? Instead of come along, kick him in the head? If my brother in Christ is trying to fight against sin with this hand, and then he has to use this hand to deal with my antagonism towards him, he's going to fall. He can't fight on two fronts like that. But when we stand united, we are invincible. That's what the Bible says about the church. So our steadfastness in suffering is a sign that reveals their doom and our salvation. So, so, so many times when people suffer opposition, they they, they ask the question, why? right? Why do I have to suffer like this? Why is this happening to me? Well, answered. lots of reasons why, but, but one of them is to make your eternal destiny clear to them and to you. Second Thessalonians 1-4, We boast about your perseverance and faith in all persecutions and trials that you're enduring. All this is evidence that you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. See, your perseverance is proof of your eternal destiny and of your opponent's doom. And this is, this is really important because fear of the world's disapproval has, I believe, in many ways, shaped the evangelistic strategy of many churches for a long time. The driving principle behind the evangelistic strategy of, of many churches is basically this. We first, we have to get them to like us. Then they'll listen to our message. So we've got to win their favor first. And so we spend all our time trying to do community service, do whatever we can to win their favor, and we never get around to actually telling them the offensive parts of the gospel because that will alienate them, and we're so afraid of their disapproval that we, we, we shave off the hard corners of the gospel. Listen, Jesus promised us that they will hate us. That's part of the promise. He said, they hated me, they'll hate you. But that's okay. Because even when they hate us, they shouldn't hate us for other reasons, but if they hate us because of the gospel, that's okay. Because even when they hate us, there's still a way to reach them. And the way to reach them is by having unflinching courage in the face of their opposition as we stand unified, that will be a sign to them. Then they'll know they're headed for doom. So opposition is actually... Opportunity. Opposition is opportunity. When, when an election doesn't go away or public opinion turns against the church, uh, that is a glorious opportunity to send a clear message through our total lack of fear. Opposition is always opportunity, even inside the church it's opportunity. When somebody when a believer is against you, uh, uh, m- remember earlier in the chapter Paul, he had Christians in Rome w- working against him, slandering him. And 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 all that was going on and yet he rejoiced. He didn't lose his joy because the gospel was being preached. Every time someone opposes you, whether it be an unbeliever outside the church or a Christian inside the church for, for any reason, you can respond, you respond to that opposition in a godly way you win. You come out ahead, the work of the gospel is advanced, and it comes out ahead because all opposition is opportunity. When Paul says, without being afraid in any way of those who oppose you, that's relevant for our day because we live in a culture that opposes Christians more and more by the week. it seems like. Bigotry against Christians is the most accepted form of bigotry in the world especially in the United States. And it's getting worse. It's crucially important how we respond to that. Listening to the news can be done in a way that glorifies God, or it can be done in a way that dishonors Him, harms your spiritual life, and increases fear. Are there any adjustments you believe God would have you make in the way you listen to news? I sing joyfully to you, Lord. I will sing to you a new song and shout for joy because you reign supreme over all. Your word is right and true. You are faithful in all you do. You love righteousness and justice. The earth is full of your unfailing love. By your word were the heavens made, their starry hosts by the breath of your mouth. You gather the waters of the sea into jars. You put the deep into storehouses. Why would I fear anyone who opposes you? Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Father, you foil the plans of the nations. You thwart the purposes of the peoples. But your plans stand firm forever. The purposes of your heart through all generations. Blessed is the man whose God is the Lord. Teach me to listen to the news with this perspective, Father. From heaven you look down and see all mankind. From your dwelling place you watch all who live on earth. You who form all hearts, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse or a tank is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its strength, it cannot save. But your eyes are on those who fear you, on those whose hope is in your unfailing love to deliver them from death. We wait in hope for you, Lord. You are our help and our shield, and you, our hearts, rejoice, for we trust in your holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.